Well, good morning. I'm, uh, I'm Stephen. I'm the pastor here, and I want to invite you to either look in your bulletins, or if you have a Bible, you can turn to Revelation chapter 5. Uh, we're going to be looking at several, uh, a bunch of the verses there as we begin a new sermon series. Uh, this new sermon series is called Simple. And the reason we're doing this is because life is anything but simple. Um, we are so incredibly busy. Life is completely and totally and exhaustingly complicated. Um, so many of us are radically overcommitted. Um, we have our job. We have school. We've got our family. We've got friends. We have neighbors. We have hobbies. There's news to keep up with. There are websites that we stay track, you know, it's, that we keep in track of. So many things demand our time. Okay, and and then there's pressures that fill our lives with anxiety. So it's not just the overcommitted. It's not just that you always have this unending list of things to do that's growing faster than you can complete the things. But there are these other things that fill us with anxiety, like, hey, are you climbing the career ladder fast enough? Are you? Come on, everybody else is moving along. Are you or are you stuck? Um, are you making enough money? Are you saving enough money for retirement? Doesn't matter how old you are, you need to start saving now because otherwise you're going to fall behind. Um, are you making enough time for your family? Or are you neglecting them in the pursuits of the other three things I just asked you about? Um, are your kids smart enough? Or are they behind the other kids? And if you don't have kids, are you running out of time to have kids? For those of you who are single, how long do you have left before you miss your chance to be married? These are things that actually produce anxiety in us on top of the overcommitted stuff that we deal with. And social media and advertising tell us thousands of times every day that we're falling behind. Social media convinces us that we're not as happy as everyone else is. It feels like everyone else is enjoying life more than we are. And so here's the problem, is that we want to be happy, but we're not. We want to be happy, but we're not. And in this tension of not being happy, the solution that we hear from everywhere from social media, from advertising, from books, and from blogs, from radio, from television, is that we need more. We need more. That the answer to your happiness is one more this, one more that, three steps to this, eight steps to that, this program, this class, this, 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 and this. And so we're afraid that if we don't pursue these things that are being thrown at us, that we're going to miss out, right? And so this is part of the problem, is that we add more to our lives because we're afraid we're missing out. And this is the tension that we live in. And, and then there's people who say, all right, you know what? Maybe religion might have an answer for me. And so there's people who start to go to church, hoping that maybe church will make a difference. Maybe then I'll be happy. And there are so many churches who will welcome you in, but then they do the exact same thing. They tell you that you're not happy because you're not doing enough. You're not giving enough to God. You're not giving enough time to the church. You're not helping out enough. And so we add even more, and it causes more stress. Um, and doing more just doesn't seem to be the answer. But then what is? 
What is the answer? The Bible speaks to this. In the book of Revelation, which is a book that is very wild and crazy, it's kind of like having a dream while you're tripping on LSD, maybe. Um, There are images in it. There are symbols in it that if you're not thoroughly steeped in biblical imagery and you don't know the Bible, you'd go, like, seriously, John, who wrote this, must have been on something. Um, And so we're going to look at a passage here kind of in the middle of this. And there's images and symbols, but I think you'll you'll be able to to grab on. I want to show you a passage before the passage that's in your Bible um, just to help us see that the book of Revelation really does understand how we feel today, even though it was written so long ago. This is uh, Revelation 5, 1 to 4. It says, And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne, that's God, God sitting on the throne in his right hand, there's a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and open its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. And so I, this is John talking, I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. Friends, this scroll has the answer to the tension that you and I live in every day. Okay, this scroll is God's secret plan to fix what's wrong with the world. Um, This is how God is going to enter into the suffering and the frustration of our lives and bring us the happiness of life that God intended. And so this scroll is life the way that it should be. It's happiness, it's contentment, it's everything. But verse 4, no one could open it. It's sitting there. God's got it in his hand. He's ready to hand it to anybody who's worthy to open it and no one can. I mean, this isn't just the cliffhanger at the end of the season of your favorite Netflix show, right? This isn't, it's not that. This is the answer to all of life. This is why can't I get any peace kind of stuff. This is why am I not happy kind of stuff. This is where in the hell is God when my life is falling apart kind of stuff. And no one can open it. It's like, is God just playing games with us? Is this torturing us? Like, why is he doing this? And the answer is that because From the beginning, from the beginning of the Bible, God has said that he's going to make human beings in his image, men and women in his image, who will actually execute his plan and his design. This is designed for a human being to come and to execute this plan, to bring the solution of God. God is not going to do it on his own, but he's sending a human being. He needs a human being. We need to find someone who is worthy to open this scroll but it's locked away. And what John was dealing with in his day was so much different from us in some ways because in John's day, the church was being captured and imprisoned for their faith. They were being thrown to the lions. They were being hung tarred and lit on fire so that the garden of the Caesar of that time could be lit for his parties. And John wants to know, not just for himself, but for the church, 
What are we doing here? God, what are you doing here? And so he is weeping. He's racked in grief for himself and for a humanity that's lost and trapped because they can't figure out where to find happiness. I mean, we're with John, aren't we? Can you identify here? You might not be weeping yourself, but if you're frustrated to know God's purpose, then you can understand where John's coming from. And so if you are discouraged, frustrated, if you're in the midst of suffering and depression or anxiety, you need to know what happens next. Because while John is weeping, someone comes to him. One of the elders comes to him and says in verse 5, which is in your bulletin now, and we'll see it up here on the screen, says, do not weep. Do not weep. Behold, that means look, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked, and behold, he's telling us now, behold, um, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And so John gets this message from one of the elders and he says, don't weep. He says, wait, hold on, there's hope. There is someone. And what's fascinating about this passage is that, God, is, is that John hears something and then he sees something. Okay, He hears, verse 5, that the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome. So the lion of the tribe of Judah, this is a biblical image for the coming king who would rule for God in his kingdom. The root of David, that means he's directly connected to King David, who was one of the best kings during the reign of Israel. And so what he, see, what he hears is that the lion of the tribe of Judah, the powerful, victorious king, has conquered and is now worthy to take the scroll and open it. But then he looks, and in verse 6, what does he see? He doesn't see a lion. He actually sees a lamb. A lamb as though it had been slain. And the lamb was a weak animal. The lamb was actually a sacrificial animal. One of the reasons they sacrificed them was because they didn't put up a fight. You could offer them as sacrifices. They were weak. They were relatively defenseless. And so what's important here is that when we think about Jesus, who is these people, we have to hold these two images together. That Jesus shows us that when God puts conquering power and unleashes conquering power on the earth, it comes in the form of a lamb who was slain. That Jesus was victorious. He was crowned king. He conquered. But the Bible says that Jesus conquered as a lamb. The Bible says that Jesus was the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And that's how he conquered. He conquered by offering himself. He conquered by sacrificing himself for us. Well, then verse 7 goes on. It says, Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Now, when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. 
each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. So when this lion, who is the lamb, comes and takes the scroll, everyone is amazed. They can't believe it. This image of the conquering lion, the conquering lion who, uh, who conquers through self-sacrifice, this image is what makes, that sacrifice is what makes someone worthy to sacrifice, or sacrificing themselves is what makes them worthy to conquer. I mean, this is what floors everyone. I mean, literally, it floors them. They collapse on their faces because they are so amazed. They're so amazed that finally someone has come. Finally, a human being has come who is worthy. But they don't just fall down. They also worship. They worship. Look at verse 9. It says, And they sang to him a new song, saying, Worthy, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. And their song explains why there is no more weeping. Their song explains the answer it tells us why Jesus was worthy. It's because, verse 9, he was slain. He was slain. He has redeemed us. And so his death wasn't just an admirable act of self-sacrifice. It wasn't just be, Jesus being a good person and sort of taking a hit for the rest of us. No, no, no. Jesus redeemed us. Redemption in the ancient world meant to rescue a slave and set them free. It meant to pay the price to purchase them and then let them go free. That's what Jesus did. It's just like in the Exodus. When God's people were slaves in Egypt, God acted through the sacrifice of the Passover lamb to rescue his people from slavery and to set them free. Now Jesus, the lamb that was slain, sets us free from slavery to our sin. Jesus sets us free from the slavery of our fear of missing out. Jesus sets us free, and that freedom enters into the tension that we feel of the need to do more. Because Jesus says, it's all been done. He rescues us by paying for our sins. But more than that, more than just rescuing us, those that Jesus rescues, he also renews. Look at verse 10. You have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. And so Jesus rescues us. He gives us his authority. Priests are people, like don't think about what you think about today when you think about priests, but back in the ancient world, priests were people that connected others to God. Okay? Kings were people who made decisions and could lead with God's authority. Kings would develop plans for producing life the way God intended. And as you look to Jesus, as you behold the lamb who was slain, the lion who conquered through self-sacrifice, as you realize that he paid the price for your sins, as you realize that you aren't worthy to take the scroll, but he was worthy and is worthy it will move you 
It'll move you to worship. You'll join in with this song. And Jesus will make you into someone who can connect other people to God. He'll make you into someone who lives their life in a way that demonstrates the way that life is as God intended. So we become kings and priests as we behold the lion who is the lamb. And when you are moved in this way, when you're moved in this way, it will produce a simple life. Okay, this is the beginning of the series. And where we want to start here is I want you to stop and I want you to see Jesus. I want you to behold him. That's what we're told to do in this passage. We're told to behold Jesus. Because when we do that, when you do that, when you behold Jesus, this lion who was a lamb, you will need so little because Jesus gives you so much. He makes you a king and a priest to our God. And this is the answer to that fear of missing out. This is the answer to that fear that there's all this other stuff going on and your friends are doing this and people you don't know are doing that and there's all this push, this push and this pressure to do more and more and more. But when we behold Jesus, those things don't matter as much. Um, I know someone who recently went on a date. Okay, this guy went on a date. And while he was with the girl, he left his phone in the car. And it wasn't a mistake. It wasn't a mistake. Why? Well, because the most important thing in his life was right in front of him. He didn't need to check his text messages. He didn't need to check his social media. He didn't need to find out what his friends were doing. He didn't care about any of that because he was looking across at the girl that he wanted to devote himself to. When we are beholding Jesus, when we are devoted to him, when he is enough, we don't need to wonder what else is going on. Years ago, I heard a preacher named Jeffrey Thomas drive this point home about a simple life um, that begins with Jesus's victory. And he said this, he said, how you feel, your ups and your downs, your achievements are absolutely irrelevant. The one thing that's relevant is what Christ did on the cross. And the heart that knows this won't take advantage of it. That Jesus has redeemed us. Jesus has purged our sins. There is nothing left to redeem or to purge. Jesus didn't do half a job on the cross. He didn't do 90% of a job on the cross. He by himself redeemed us. On the cross, you weren't there to help. I wasn't there to help. He was there by himself. And everyone in the book of Revelation, everyone who sees the lamb watches in wonder at what Jesus has done. 
everyone else is happy with it, but you feel like something else needs to be added to it. You feel like you've got to do something to fill in the gap. You feel like you've got to do something to make up the difference. You feel like you've got to read your Bible. You feel like you've got to pray more. You feel like you've got to show up at church events. You feel like you've got to serve more until and neglect your family because it's more important to serve in the church. You feel like you've got to do everything. You've got to share your faith. You've got to hang out with your friends. And you want to take that stuff and you want to put it on the altar along with Jesus' sacrifice and then you'll be happy. Jesus is seated on the throne in heaven. But you and I won't sit down. We won't rest. Jesus sits and he's satisfied. God the Father sees the work of Jesus and he's thrilled. The Holy Spirit is delighted. The angels aren't looking for anything more. The saints have even forgotten everything that they've ever done because it was mixed with sin. Because they're busy singing, worthy is the lamb who was slain. My son, my daughter, why are you trying? Why are you striving? You can't add a single thing to what's been done for you. Jesus says, I did it all when I was dying. Rest in my grace and my peace will come to you. So what do I want you to do this morning? I want you to do nothing. I want you to do absolutely nothing. I don't want you to get out of your seats. I don't want you to walk down in response to an altar call. I don't want you to make resolutions that you're going to be more religious or more involved. I don't want you to get baptized today. I don't want you to join the church or make any moral resolutions at all. I don't want you to think at all about what you are going to do. I want you to sit. I want this to nail you to your seat. And I want you to behold the Lamb. I want you to behold the Lamb of God who was slain for your sins and for mine. I want you to behold the Lamb who at the end of his suffering on the cross said, It is finished. I want you to glory in that. I want the gospel to so move you, to keep you from doing anything but being passive and beholding Jesus in all his glory. That's it. And when your sins rise up and your guilt condemns you, your only answer needs to be, I have been ransomed by the blood of the Lamb. When Satan comes and reminds you of your past and your present failures, I want you to say to him, I am redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. If you can say that, then you're a Christian. If you're looking to Jesus for your redemption, if you're looking to Jesus and committed to him, if you are beholding him and you're lost in wonder, that this just can't be true because it's too good to be true, but you're beholding Jesus and you're holding on to him. If you're holding on to him, it is settled once and for all. 
And the world is full of religions that are saying, do, 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 do. Meditate on this. Practice this. Plan this. There are churches everywhere in our country and the world that are telling people to do and do and do. And Christ is here saying, done. It's finished. There's nothing for you to do but to behold the Lamb. And so sit and look. Look at the cross. Look at the Lamb risen from the dead, which is God's declaration that He is worthy. It's God's declaration that if you hold on to Him, you will be saved. This is where life comes from. This is how life gets simpler. So many things that I worry about don't matter. So many things that I spend time trying to stay on top of don't matter. This is what matters. This is what matters. I will not miss out on anything, and neither will you, because in 70 years, I'm guessing maybe 80 with some of the babies in the back. In 80 years from now, we're going to be someplace and we're going to begin eternity. And we will never, ever remember missing out on anything except for this. This is the only thing that we could miss out on. This is the only thing you should be afraid of missing out on. And that's being seated with Christ in heaven. And if you want to be seated with him then... Worship him now. When you realize that Jesus' victory is your victory, life cannot steal your joy. This is good news no matter what is going on in your life. Just look. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. In all of our efforts, we don't even come close to being worthy. But you rescued us. And you have redeemed us. Help us to see your finished work and to believe. Amen. The rest of our service is a way to respond, but it's also a way to see Jesus. Um, we're going to receive our offering here in just a couple minutes, and I just want to say that this offering is not a way that you pay God back for what he's done.